Luis, I'm a little too loud now. A little too much. apologize in advance if a floating candle lands in your lap. <laughs> there are plenty of seats. But let's try and fill in the seats in the front, and then we can get, get more chairs. Look at that as we speak. Well, so there's a good many seats if you want to have a seat. There's plenty of seats at the front. I won't ask you any questions if you're at the front, it's not <laughs> So, um, good morning everybody. Very glad that you are here in this room and actually very glad that we are here in this place uh, in the history of All Saints and I'll say more about that. Um, I'll start with a kind of disclaimer. For those of you that were maybe looking forward to a sound and light show and to images and plans and beautiful uh, renditions, I'm afraid all that you got to look at is me. <laughs> and as the guy that gets up every morning and looks in the mirror at that, I apologize in advance. But um, in a way, it's highly appropriate that you get to look at me because the role of the rector is really to represent and reflect and to be in relationship with the parish. So what we get to start with in this journey to the development of our block is the parish, is one another, is the people that we already see and know and love. That's where it always starts. And so it's fitting that we begin our journey this way. I'm going to spend some time uh, taking us through um, some ideas that might help us think about beginning to plan for the development of the block, but I want to offer a little bit of um, history, non-exact history. I'm still getting a tiny bit of feedback, Maurice, if you could just take it down a little niche. Um, <coughs> for those of you that may not be aware, um, All Saints has been wanting to complete uh, the process of owning the entire block for many years. In fact, in the rector's office, if you kind of go into those inner reaches, the sort of filing cabinets that even Pat Carley can't find, and you get right into the heart of it, you discover these old, you dust off these old strategic plans and these vision documents, and you discover that we've been here before, dreaming of what we might do with the block, and you may have been part of that yourself. Or you may be more recent to All Saints. And so, um, in many ways, the work of uh, church leadership is to set up the ministry of the person that follows you. And so, as a, as to a large degree, the other person that's sort of standing here, um, particularly, is Jeffrey. Uh, because Jeffrey was able to lead a process with you, and I know that many of you worked very hard. Uh, when the opportunity arose, maybe some of you felt, finally, at last, hallelujah. Um, there we go, we didn't make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be careful what I invoke from this point onwards. I don't know what it means, but <laughs> I don't think they're that hard, but I, I apologize if one. Um, but you're able to work hard and work quickly and secure the two remaining parcels of the lot, the, the, of, the, of the block that had not been secured. And so for the first time in our history since the, this church began, 
um, we've been able to say what it might look like to begin the conversation to imagine what it might look like to speak to the city as a whole um, about who we are as a church. But I want to begin um, with a bit of D.H. Lawrence, if you'll forgive me, <laughs> from the rainbow. When he saw the cathedral in the distance, dark blue lifted, watchful in the sky, his heart leapt. It was the sign in heaven. It was the spirit hovering like a dove, like an eagle over the earth. Then he pushed open the door and the great pillared gloom was before him, in which his soul shuddered and rose from her nest. His soul leapt, soared up into the great church. His body stood still, absorbed by the height. His soul leapt up into the gloom. That isn't my way of saying that we could probably improve our lighting in the sanctuary, but we could. <laughs> <laughs> it's my way of saying that churches through the centuries have had a way of offering to us glimpses of the eternal. They were built, and I'm going to share briefly of a particular church that was a moment in my life. They, they were built to offer us, if you like, sort of as a signpost, as a as a mark on the landscape through our lives as well as the physical landscape, that there is more, perhaps, of this life than meets the eye. I wonder if anybody's had the chance to go to see Ely Cathedral in East Anglia, just outside Cambridge. There's a few of us. It is a remarkable space. If you ever get the chance to go to England, it's a little bit, you know, e England just keeps on going east at that point. You're wondering when it's going to stop. Um, it, it's the longest nave in Europe. It's a spectacular place. And if you have any opportunity to walk up uh, into the rafters, so to speak, and to see how they built the octagon, this great lantern that lies in the, in the crossing of that cathedral, please take that opportunity and then hold on to the rail. Um, <laughs> it's been an important center of Christian worship since the seventh century. The first Christian community was formed there by Ethelreda, the daughter of the Anglo-Saxon king Anna of East Anglia. And Ethelreda set up and ruled as an abbess of a dual monastery in Ely for men and for women. And after her death, as is the case in many parts of the world, her shrine attracted many pilgrims who came to venerate her shrine throughout the Middle Ages. No fewer than eight, 13 ancient churches were dedicated to her in various regions of England. Those Danes got busy and destroyed the monastery in about 870. <laughs> but in 970, the ruined Saxon abbey was reconsecrated as a Benedictine monastery for men by the Bishop of Winchester. And that Benedictine tradition is actually the spiritual and ecclesiastical tradition out of which we worship today. The abbey church was rebuilt and allegedly, I love this particular part, never to miss an opportunity for marketing, even if it involves the family. Allegedly, the remains of St. Ethelreda's sister were swiped from a monastery in East Dirham in order to increase pilgrims in revenue. <laughs> Gotta love those Anglicans. And the great cathedral today is Norman. It was finished in eight, uh, 1189. So I'm sharing this story because part of my journey was literally a pilgrimage to Ely. We walked from Cambridge to Ely, which is not that far. We were preparing ourselves in, uh, let's say, less than peak physical fitness. 
to attempt to go on the pilgrimage to Cam uh, Santiago de Compostela on the Camino, which we did for nine days, which in itself is a whole other story. Um, but what I remember of that experience is that Ely Cathedral is unmistakable. It, it rises out of the grounds, um, out of the ground. It's known as the Ship of the Fen because originally it was on a little island. And that was the original draining of the swamp. They drained the swamp in the 17th century. <laughs> so I guess you didn't have to either get your feet wet or get into a boat to go to the cathedral. But as we walked there, we realized, because if you've not been to East Anglia, it is flat. It's just flat. And so you can see this cathedral a long way before you're going to arrive at it. And you realize this is the same view that pilgrims have had for centuries. Pilgrim places, pilgrim spaces, give us something to head toward in our lives. And they give us a place once we're there to be restored, to, to help us with our journey on. So I'm sharing all of this because the opportunity for us to finally shape the totality of our block begins, and I want to sort of offer this as the priest in your midst, um, it begins with that opportunity for us to think about that as how we might make God more visible in people's lives. There's a man across the street. He's very friendly. And he's letting us know that he doesn't agree with our theology. He's probably doing it still right now. He wanted to preach a second sermon, so he did last Sunday. He wanted to join the Guild of Preachers that was here taking a workshop, and he was carrying a large cross with him. And he came here because either A, we're really convenient off the North Avenue Martyr stop, <coughs> or he knew something about who we are, how, not only how we are visible on the physical landscape, but how we are visible, if you like, on the cultural landscape of Atlanta. And I wish I could somehow summon uh, Frank Ross to, to have a conversation with him, because Frank, my predecessor, was asked many years ago, whether by, by one of the church members, whether it would be possible for an African-American to come to church at All Saints. And he apparently turned to the uh, gentleman and said, that question was settled 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and so in a way, Frank didn't really begin the movement. I think his predecessor maybe should be credited for a lot of work of breaking that ground for us to be a church on the cultural landscape for us to be a place that people look to and say, there's something in that for me. Something about that means something in my life and I want to respond to that. So we are unlikely as we develop this block to create a building, who knows, but it's unlikely we're going to create a building quite as iconic as our, the place where we worship. I doubt it will have a spire, but you know, who knows? I doubt it will have a cross on the top. I doubt it will be recognizable as a church. But it will be an opportunity for us to say to the city, I mean, we can probably make an argument for Goodfellas Pizza, of how that is somehow the body of Christ in the world. <laughs> and if you're looking to buy pizza today, please go to Goodfellas, that would help us a lot. <laughs> Helping keep up with the rent. So, um, but an opportunity for us to shape our ministry and mission to the city in a way that all the way around this block, people can see something more of God visible in our lives. 
What's really important for us, I think, to just take stock of and celebrate is that we do all of this work from a position of strength. There is no crisis. I love that the few times when we've had a little bit of bumpiness, we've had bumpiness about things that matter. We didn't have a big argument about the 1982 hymnal. But this is a church that continues to debate real questions and to be invested and passionate about real questions, about the world's life, not just the church's life. Again, thanking my several predecessors, we're in a place of considerable financial security. That isn't an invitation to say, well, maybe I won't pledge this year, not at all. <laughs> That's a different thing. But it's to say that there's no need pressing in on us. But there is a shift ahead of us. And it was wonderful timing, not by design, but by maybe just a good uh, sense of prov providential accident, that Shannon O'Connor spoke this morning in our video. And if you're here before the 11.15 service, you'll see this video at that service. And she is younger, she is uh, self-confessing uh, millennial, and she offered us the line that people my age don't do this anymore. And I wonder if you saw that video or when you see it, if that will get your attention like it got mine. It's not a source for anxiety that somehow, what are we gonna do to fill this church or balance our budget or meet our needs? It's an incredible opportunity for us to do what the church has always done, to reimagine itself. Frank Russ's answer to the church member that wondered whether this could be an integrated kind of congregation was, yes, of course, because God's imagination is always more expansive than our own. We're always invited into more. And so one of the questions and one of my key roles in this process as we go through this journey of imagining what we will do with our block is to be the person in our midst that will ask questions, not the only person, of course but to keep on asking questions about what our mission is as a church and what the extent is of our imagination. Oftentimes we can think about the life of the church and its state today, particularly in uh, America and Western Europe, particularly Northern Europe, that we've asked too little and we've dreamed too small. That's not what you get in the Bible. Typically people ask too much <laughs> and God helps them dream bigger, deeper more faithfully to who they are. So what I want to offer to us is that this is our opportunity to imagine something for the city of Atlanta and beyond. Just, last, just this last week, I had an opportunity to get into, the, get into the gutter, to climb into the gutter of the National Cathedral in Washington. Now you can imagine, as Episcopalians are, very nice gutter. They don't do ordinary gutters. <laughs> Very high class gutter. <laughs> and from there, you get a sense of which uh, this building, this, if you like, our mother church, kind of, uh, in the Episcopal Church, stands. How it, how it is a great cathedral in the life of Washington, D.C. It towers. You're looking down on the Washington Monument. You can cover it with your thumb. And what you'd have to go all the way to the top to see is that, and, and the dean kind of spanned this thing about the, the graffiti in the tiles was something that was as holy as the relics, and he said, I didn't buy that, it was just graffiti. But it was this sense in which the people of the city were making their mark, were, were arriving, if you like, were having their say in this great space for the city. And in many ways, that cathedral space, which 
seeks to be a civic space, that seeks to be a place that pilgrims pass through, and in doing so are changed, but also change that space for those who call it their worship home. That is our opportunity to get really creative and imagine how it is a generation and two generations from now to think about a 50-year timeline. I don't mean for the completion of the project. <laughs> I just mean to imagining who might come here. 50 years from now, how might people discover the possibility that there is more to this life than meets the eye? Discover the possibility that there is a living God and a living hope in their lives. So I see this changing paradigm, this what some people have called post-Christendom, that is making its way from the northwest, from Seattle, and eventually oh, the bus will arrive in the southeast. Well, we'll start to have really have this need to diversify our economy in a way, diversify our spiritual economy, to find many different entree points. Sometimes I like to walk the block either just to get some exercise or air or just to get my brain exercise because you meet a lot of America around one block. You meet people busily on their way to their next meeting, a lot of people waiting for Uber and Lyft. Uh, you meet students heading down or back up from Georgia Tech. And you meet people who are asleep on the sidewalk or asking for help. You meet people kind of milling around. And then you also come across a vision that this church had that, that said that people who have lost all hope, men lost to addiction and to homelessness might find hope here and we'll go on that journey with them. And now I think near to 30 years later, um, that hope is still being found for people. You go a little further and you hear the voices of Bright Horizon and you, you, you can't get help but get that sense that the church's best years are in its future. Not that we're cultivating little Episcopalians, but this is a place where um, the future can thrive. So I wanted just to, to offer that, um, and, I'll, and I'll move now to a more uh, kind of practical layout of what the uh, block development process might look like. To, but just want to first go back to our very beginning. Uh, Ed Doherty was very kind to show me a rendition, a, a drawing of the original plan for this little patch of land in Atlanta. Now, I might not get this all right, Ed, but I uh, so I apologize. But as I understand, this essentially this was going to be, if you like, a housing development with a small number of houses that included a, a spring or a stream that so water would sort of cascade, cascade down the natural topography of this, this particular block. And that, of course, never happened. But the Peters family who were integral to that project initially said, you know what, okay, we're going to gift this particular plot of land. And another kind of house was built, the one that we've just worshipped in, and you may worship in at 1115. And I love that image because the, the, the church has a lot of things to say about water and living water. It's the place where we're renewed and find new life. And so I'm hoping not literally at some point that water will cascade down the block, <laughs> that we hit the wrong pipe. But that metaphorically, through the movement that we engage in together, the development of this block, that those living waters that we find in Christ Jesus will be able to be sort of waded in, or somebody might be able to dip their toe in, all around the block that we now own. So in many ways, we're going back 
to that vision that we had in the beginning. So over the next three years, we're going to engage in conversations with one another, and I want to lay out at least what we think that process could look like. And I think you'll understand that in, one, in many ways, we're going into a great unknown. And uh, what I lay out today may not be exactly what happens. Um, the first year, though, from this fall to next fall, the fall of 2019, we want to really engage uh, three constituents to craft the vision. Of course, the most important constituents are represented here today, our parish. And we're going to embark on a process of trying to be in conversation with all of our parish, with the whole of our membership. We're a little under 3,000 members as a church. Um, and there's a number of ways that we might do that. And there'll be lots of opportunity for you to lend your voice, and it's totally fine to change your mind, or even to contradict yourself, or to contradict somebody else, and we'll kind of go in this journey together, trusting that we've got plenty of strength and depth in relationship to have this conversation well, and thoroughly, and robustly. But I want you to hear that it's fundamental to the success of this work, the development of this block, that we hear your voice. Now, whilst it will be possible for somebody to say, nobody asked me, it's always possible, um, we are going to keep on asking you and keep on trying to draw out what do you see, what do you imagine, and try to provide as many ways in for you to answer those questions as we move forward. Some of them will be large gatherings, some of them will be small, some of them might be one-on-one, -on -one, some of them may be in... Uh, in person or online, lots of different ways. But we want to imagine together this legacy project, this project that we will, quite frankly, leave to the people that one day will sit in these chairs. Just like they left a legacy project for us to worship in today in that church building. So that's the most important conversation partners that we have, one another, the parish that we are today. There's another really important set of conversation partners, and that's from Midtown to Metro Atlanta. We want to be in conversation with key stakeholders, whether that's the people that gather for Midtown Alliance, or whether that's Georgia Tech, or Georgia State, or Emory University, businesses around us, nonprofits, residents. Try to understand where there may be uh, opportunities that are not being taken up today in the development of Midtown. Uh, you know, we just have to look across the street as time moves on, that this is a rapidly moving target. We're kind of pinning the tail on the donkey as the donkey walks away. But that's okay. But also be in conversation with the wider Metro Atlanta community. And I know that there are many of you here and many who are not here who help us have those conversations because of your professional and uh, the life that you, professional life and the life that you've engaged in in this city. And we will really need those connections and those relationships so that we can better understand our own vision for this block. And a third set of conversation partners will be helped by uh, one of the canons of our diocese, who also is a, a works for the presiding bishop in helping churches across the Episcopal Church do this very kind of work to develop their properties in some way or another. And I've already had a preliminary conversation with him to, so we can get some best practices and pitfalls to avoid. We want to learn from others. 
We don't want to assume that we can somehow figure this all out for ourselves. And so we'll be in conversations in that first year with churches from the Episcopal Church and beyond and other similar such organizations to see how they did this and what we might learn from them. So that's the first year, and we hope through that first year we will have uh, really generated, it could be two, it could be three, it could be four, who knows, strong leading possibilities for what we might do with the block. And the work in our second year will be to take, conti maybe continue that process, certainly continue it with the parish, but we're starting also to home in by the end of that second year, the fall of 2020, on a single project, a single vision. And the advice that we've been given is that the best way to engage that work in relation to the city is to start the conversations uh, at that point, not, at, not when you've got your single vision, but when you're working on your sort of strongest three or four or five, so you don't go down a road that simply can't, you can't arrive at the destination because the city is never going to allow you to undertake that project. Now this may seem like stretching here, but if those of you that have good relationship with the city of Atlanta, <laughs> we'd love to know who you are. <laughs> and those of you who don't, we'd love you to pray. <laughs> No. We know that being in good conversation um, uh, with the city of Atlanta will be really important for this so project to be a success. And we want to do that early and often as we go through the stages. So that means by the beginning of the third year of this process, the fall of 2020, we will have a single plan in mind. We will have engaged for two years as a parish and with our other partners in conversation in dreaming this to come to a point where we can say to one another, this is what we're going to do. At that point, we'll be asking some questions. We'll be deepening our engagement with the city with a single endpoint in mind. And that really is the great mystery of the universe, how long that process could take. From the point of seeking out permits and all the rest of that to construction beginning. That's a mystery I can't deal with. I just do the theology. Um, but we'll also have to ask ourselves, and it will have become apparent in that second year, what kind of project we're talking about. And I will get to that before I close and ask you to engage in questions. Um, whether we're talking about a small and modest uh, project or a large and not so modest project, um, that, that piece, that determination will help us know what kind of financial backing, what kind of financial base this project will need. And so today is not a day where we put anything in stone. It's all just slushy. It's all just dreaming. So we don't know whether that could mean a capital campaign or whether that means we partner with a developer. We don't know any of that. But I just want to say those two things out loud because it could mean either or both of those. Then at some point, and of course, because I've laid it out on paper, beginning of year four to the date, we'll, we'll uh, put our first, shov first shovel in the ground and construction will begin. That is a great unknown. What I think we can be sure of is that by the end of that third year, that as a parish, we have ended our, if you like, our discernment. We really have got to the point where we know where we're going and, um, and we can say, now we simply have to uh, hurry up and wait to begin. Uh, some things will be simply not possible to speed up uh, but we will do all that we can to anticipate where the delays might be, and that's where being in conversation with the city will help us doing that early. 
So in terms of the project, um, in case this is still a mystery to some of you, and it's totally fine, I say, well, what is he talking about? Are we, are we uh, um, is it out here? Is it this part of the block? Uh, we're talking about the, the corner of the block over here that at the moment uh, houses Goodfellas and there's a, there's a bar, there's some empty lots that we own, um, the Tate Hall, Covenant Community Threads. That's the corner of the block that we're talking about. And part of the discernment is knowing um, how much of the block do we develop from that point and thinking about all the different factors that we need to consider most uh, especially, I think, with the change across the street, I doubt that somebody is developing a block across the street to have more parking, but maybe developed worse in the sense of surface ground parking. We need to think seriously about how we will have parking at the church, just as obviously one piece. And so as we answer those kind of questions and anticipate what we, our needs might be as a church today, let alone the needs of those we've yet to meet, that those, the answers to those kind of questions help us determine the, the extent of the project. Um, and I'm not going to you know, put a line anywhere in the sand, other than I've got a pretty strong feeling that whatever we do to develop the block, it would not include our two historic buildings of the church and Eggleston. I mean, I, I, I've never got a sense that there's a strong d desire to build Atlantis Crystal Cathedral here and level the whole thing. <laughs> I think we treasure and give thanks for this incredible legacy that we have. And um, as you heard in the video today with Shannon, when she walked in, she realized that she'd moved into a different kind of space. But we don't know yet what the extent will be. Um, and because this is a legacy project and it's a, it's a project that thinks back into the past as well as looks forward into the future, I've put together a block development steering committee who will not do all the work but will be the hub or the engine and invite others to join them in that work. And I just want to share those names with you. And um, it's a group of people that I wanted to offer to the parish um, who had been in leadership roles in the church before, who understood our churches, if you like, our DNA, um, who understood some of the nuances that will be essential to have us understand ourselves better and better, as well as imagine what we might offer to the city. So the chair, I'm delighted to say that the chair of this committee will be Michael Gragnani, and he will be joined by Tred Davis, Clay Jackson, Lillian Giannelli, Laurie Ranking, Elizabeth Robertson, Wendy Silliman, and Leighton Stradman. Now, As I asked each of them, I said, it's totally fine for you to say no to this question. Um, in many ways, the, those eight folks who will join me in this steering committee will be undertaking something like a vestry term of service, a three-year term, and we'll meet on a monthly basis, um, and we'll be highly available to use. We'll find some way of identifying them uh, in the court, so you can share your thoughts with them. We want that group to be available to you. We do not want, and I want to say it very clearly, we do not want to have a group of people disappear into a room that nobody can find for a couple of years and then come up with this great glorious plan. That will not work, and we know that. We do want this group to be identifiable and accessible and to work with many of you in partnership so that we can go on this journey together. There will be many opportunities to join this work. 
And those opportunities will reflect, I think, perhaps your giftedness. I am sure that there is something that each of you can contribute to this block development journey as this uh, work of imagination begins. And we will only know that most truly when you share that with us. Some of you um, I have in my sights, so to speak. <laughs> Some of you I might want to maybe tap on your shoulder sooner than later as you help us build relationships with partners we need to be in dialogue with. Um, but there'll be ongoing opportunities, whether you want to be involved in the work in an invested way, or whether you simply want to lend your voice, there'll be ongoing opportunities for you to be part of the journey. So we have about, um, you know, about a little less than 10 minutes for questions. Um, I would gladly uh, answer any questions that you have. Great question. How many square feet? Talking about developing. I don't know, and, I, and that's not being coy. I really don't know. Um, it, it's clear. If any of you have walked, uh, certainly the uh, the second floor of Tate, uh, that that's a building that's in need of some love and care. And um, the Covenant Community and a number of um, support groups use those spaces today. Um, it's hard to believe that that it wouldn't involve the square foot of that sort of corner, square footage. Beyond that, I don't know, but I, at this point, it's all in the open. Other questions? So I'm a theologian, not a real estate guy, but as I understand it, that the, the, there are a number of um, parcels of land across the street that are, would it be under contract? Are we at that stage yet? Those who know, under contract. And so um, they're owned by a number of different, the archdiocese owns a certain amount of that property. I think we can expect two things, that we're gonna be driving toward a construction site, not our own to start with, over the next several years, or depending on how long the project takes, and that that will impact Midtown, certainly our part of Midtown, a great deal. So we'll, we, will, we will communicate that, really. There'll, there'll be mechanisms, certainly online. Um, we're not at a point yet where I know how to answer that adequately, but there'll be plenty of them. There won't just be email Pat Carly, because she'll quit. Um, <laughs> but um, th there, there are a number of ways that we could do that, whether it's online, in person, to the person, the group. I would say whatever works best for you, and we will commit to making sure that that idea is not lost. Um, but but we need to we need to convene and, and get a shape of this work as a steering committee first. Today I just wanted to lay out the journey, but it's a really important question. Um, I don't know about that, but. Uh, <laughs> There's certainly that is not in our sights today. Um, uh, unless uh, David Aldridge is the finance committee chair, unless he's not told me something. Um, I, I, I don't think at this point that we have it in our sights to be engaged in um, 
negotiations for that, that what's happening across the street. I think the reality is that the, the, the players involved in that are in a different level to us financially. I think that's just the reality. I remember asking <laughs> when the search committee came to San Diego, not knowing a thing about the varsity, I said, well, have you ever wondered about like purchasing you know, the varsity? And I think, I think Lillian said, we don't have that kind of money. Uh, <laughs> that's sort of the shorthand version. Other questions? Yeah, so the Archdiocese, there's a school, I think, is it a middle school? I'm not sure what the, the age range is. So they own, a not all of it, but a fairly sizable portion of that land across the street. Across ponds, yes, correct, yeah. I don't think they have a share in the varsity, I think just across ponds. <laughs> you never know. Any other questions? So today really was just getting the ball rolling. This has been something, as you know, that's just been, we're gonna begin this at some point. We're gonna begin this at some point. Um, and now we are. There'll be plenty more communication. I really do mean that there'll be plenty of opportunities for you to be part of this process to the fullest extent that you wish to be. Um, I hope that the least extent that you'll be involved in this process is to pray for it, and I mean that. I have no concerns about the future of all saints because the church is God's business. And that's what we have to offer the world around us. And we can do that with strength and confidence today. And I, I fully believe that when we finish this work that we will do together to develop this block, we'll be in an even stronger position to be uh, a light and a beacon of hope as we've been for the last uh, 115 years. So thank you uh, for being here today. And please do, uh, don't be a stranger for the next few years in any way, um, your voice, you may be the one, there may be just one person here, it's a bit like the lottery, <laughs> who's gonna get the winning ticket. You may be that person that have that inspiration from the Holy Spirit um, that, that, that gives us that idea that we just didn't see and that will end up being the thing that we do. So I really mean that, I'm not just being cute, I really mean it. Um, it's fundamental that we can listen to one another so we can succeed. If you, any of you want to talk to me afterwards, I've got a couple more minutes before I have to go and do the other thing. Uh, so, uh, but thank you for your time this morning.